Hello everyone and welcome to Showhoppers. Today we are covering Watchmen, the graphic novel, in preparation for our coverage of Watchmen, the TV series, the miniseries, the limited series on HBO. I am Mr. Sal, a high school science teacher. I have read the book twice. I have seen the series once. And I am here with my co-host and former student who has never seen the series but has read the book. His name is Kurt, and oh, how the ghost of you clings, Kurt. <laughs> I don't know the reference. I read the book once. <laughs> but who's the ghost of me? Wait a second. Ghost. Ah, oh, shoot. Who died? <laughs> oh, how the ghost of you clings. Uh, it is a reference to uh, the, the cologne or perfume. By Vite. Oh, uh, yeah. nostalgia. 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 There we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. Yes. Yes. Well, folks, uh, we are here. We hope you don't mind that we helped ourselves to some beans. And we are ready to prep you for the series by taking a look at the graphic novel. Now, just some information about the graphic novel here. Uh, it was, uh, it's, it's written by uh, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Uh, it was published in 1986 and set in 1985, so set a little bit after it was published. Uh, did I say written by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons? I meant written by Alan Moore, illustrated by Dave Gibbons, yeah, okay. because it is a graphic novel. Uh, it was adapted into a movie in 2009. The movie had mixed reviews, but the series, the HBO Limited series, which came out in 2019, won 11 Emmy Awards, including Best Anthology or Limited Series. It is the the series is a sequel to the book. So, the creators of the of the series, Damon Lindelof, our guy, Damon Lindelof, creator of Leftovers and Lost, our first two series we ever covered on Showhoppers, uh, wrote uh, the, made the series uh, with the intention that you could enjoy it without having ever read the graphic novel, but with the understanding that you would enjoy it more if you have read the graphic novel. <laughs> so there you have it. That's why we are here. In case you have not read the graphic novel, we will get you ready for the series by going over some of the most important points of the graphic novel uh, that might be pertinent to the series. And, and we'll, we'll try to set you on the right path because that is the next series we're going to be covering on Showhoppers. So this is your special preview podcast, and then we'll be covering Watchmen episode one next week. Very so, exciting. It is. I, I've been <laughs> very excited to record this podcast specifically. Uh, well, let's talk about the let's talk about the book for uh, our. our do, you do, uh, do you want to do no spoiler talk for a bit about the book? No spoiler talk, huh? I, <laughs> uh, I I don't think so. Do you? No, you? no, no. I don't. I don't know if you anything you want to say. No spoiler wise. I mean, what I will say is, I read the book in preparation for this. Right? It was good. First graphic novel I've read. Yes, first graphic novel I read. Mm -hmm. I, I already told you this. I'll say for the listeners, it was kind of hard for me to get used to reading it because I'm not used yeah. to reading and looking at pictures and seeing who's talking based on the pictures and like the fact that the pictures tell you the scene changes, not the book itself. Right. Like different, different. It was just because when I when I read something, I sub vocalize, which is to say, I hear the voice in my head, and so Correct. I have like voices in my head, not well, not literally, but you know, <laughs> when I'm reading, I have to, the characters have different voices, not in a mental illness sort of way. Yes, but, not in a mental yeah. illness sort of way, and, and uh, I read books, <laughs> sort of way, and so when reading it, 
it was just trickier for me to get used to the fact that I got to kind of look at the picture, see who that is, and then that's whose voice it is. If it's you know someone I know, mm-hmm. whatever. So anyway, I really enjoyed the book. I'm very excited to watch the series. So yeah, that, that, that's for sure. You know, I, I this was the first graphic novel I had ever read as well. And honestly, I don't even know if I've ever read a comic book. So this was this was a really a really big adjustment for me. Uh, I had to really kind of get used to it, just like you said. And once I did, I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" There's just so much that you can do with it that you can't do with just written word. You know, there, there's so much you can do visually. It's so cinematic. You know, you can have it like is. four oh. tiles in a row getting smaller and smaller and you and understand that it's like a zooming out uh, on the characters, right? Uh, you can, it, it's it's really, it's really amazing. So whatever we do in summary of the book today is not going to do the book justice. And, and no. oh. you really should read the book. It's, I'd re- strongly recommend reading it before you watch the series. It's, it's a quick read. I think it's a very quick read. I mean, you It's 12 chapters. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're they'll take you less than an hour per chapter, I feel. For me it took oh, less yeah. than an hour. Yeah, I agree. Maybe I like agree. to read half an hour. There's there's a supplemental. So if you I'll take you less than 12 hours to read the whole thing because between each chapter there's supplemental material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so it's it's fantastic. Strongly recommend it. And, and also, yep. I don't know if it was I mean, it is a graphic novel. It has pictures. That's great. <laughs> True. <laughs> Less words per page. Hey, your, your, kid, your kids, your kids can read it. Kids can read it. No, yeah, don't actually let them read it. It got some pretty. No, no, no. It's got things yeah. kids shouldn't be reading in it, but it's yeah. got pictures. So you know, you pick up the book, you see all those pages. Like, oh, geez, yeah. that's actually not a lot of pages for a book. And you look through it. Oh, wait a second, most of it's pictures. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I think that's about all we can say without spoilers. So yeah. we are going to be spoiling the book, right? Uh, we will not in this episode of Show Hoppers spoil anything regarding the TV series that we'll be covering. Yeah, I've so, never seen it. I mean, mm-hmm. and Mr. Sally Hope is not going to spoil it for me. It is not my intention to spoil anything for you, Kurt. I I, I will make sure that I, without calling attention to it i will try to make sure that i highlight some points that are going to be relevant in the series so that you're you're ready so that you're you've got you you're you're all i I know the information i know the information i need to know yes exactly and the listeners do too that's right that's right so uh so we will be spoiling it from this point forward i love the book as well i think I've, i've already mentioned that uh it was such a pleasant surprise to me because I was not expecting to love a graphic novel. I'm also not a huge superhero fan for that matter. So uh, it is Ridiculous. interesting that I was even drawn to this, uh, but it was Damon Lindelof. So I had to check it out. And I'm so glad that I did. I mean, it is really, truly spectacular. So if, if you a guy like superhero movies, I haven't watched a lot of Marvel recently, but if you do, this is so good. Especially if you like gritty reality superhero stuff. Very good. Would recommend Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so, okay, let's let's spoil away. So, uh, just to give you some background of what the series is relative to this book, that as I said, the book is set in 1985. The series is set in, I think, 2019, the year it came out. It's it's contemporary to when it came out. So, we're talking about you know almost 35 years later. Okay, sure. so some of the characters are going to be characters that you're familiar with um, a lot of the characters are going to be characters you're not familiar with uh the but the universe is is the same i guess there's a huge event that happens at the end of the book you know, the giant psychic squid right 
<laughs> and, and so so uh, the series kind of investigates you know what what happens in a world where that happened oh yeah what is, i'm very what is I'm, a, I'm so excited for the series after yeah that. <laughs> what does a world where that happened look like now because what, what's fight gonna because eventually they're gonna be like well where are the aliens let's fight keeps doing <laughs> stuff right that's my thought it's 40 years like, listen they, they got us once but are they gonna come back right right yeah yeah so so anyway uh Let's let's run through uh, some of the characters that that we meet in this in the graphic novel, right? Sure. So, I we can think of the characters as broken down into to two parts. There's a lot of the book is in flashback in this, uh, mostly in the '40s. I think the Minutemen, which is is this crime fighting organization, kind of starts in 1939 but they are operating through most of the 40s through 1949 i believe okay um and there are a whole bunch of vigilantes and and that's what these are there are very there are a couple of notable exceptions actually one notable exception but otherwise (laughs) these are just people they are vigilantes they are not superheroes they don't have superpowers right yeah yeah yeah. they're just pretty strong joe smoes Yes. So uh, they were popularized by uh, the first publicized masked adventurer, which is what they call them, uh, was Hooded Justice, right? Uh, and Hooded Justice wore a full face hood and noose around his neck. Make some possibly Nazi sympathetic comments. At some point. <laughs> uh, but he uh, he's never his identity is never really known. He kind of disappears at the same time as the circus performer named Rolf Mueller. Uh, but it, it's never known if that is the same person, right? But his popularity kind of kicks off this uh, organization called the Minutemen. And the, the founder of the Minutemen uh, is Captain Metropolis. His, his name is Nelson Gardner. Uh, he gets in touch with someone named Sally Jupiter. Uh, actually, Sally Juice Pacheck, uh, but she goes by Sally Jupiter. Uh, her vigilante name is Silk Spectre, uh, and the two of them kind of start the Minutemen. Okay, now Sally Jupiter, we're going to come to find out later, is, is a very important character throughout the the book. It's not just the in the forties when she was part of the Minutemen. So. We've got in also in the Minutemen, we've got Dollar Bill. Uh, we don't know Bill's last name, but his first name is Bill. <laughs> uh, he's he's a mass adventurer for a national bank. So he, he's like a security guard who wears a mask and goes by Dollar Bill. I love Dollar Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, yeah, it's a great name, by the way. But it is. He, he died when his cloak got caught in the revolving door during a robbery <laughs> and the robber just shot him. Uh, we've got Mothman whose real name is Byron Lewis. Uh, Byron is one of three Minutemen who are still living at the start of this book. So at the start of, unless Hooded Justice is living because that was never confirmed. But uh, at the start of this book, we've got Byron Lewis. We've got uh, Hollis Mason, who was Night Owl. I'll get to him in a minute. Actually, I'll just get to him right now. Uh, he's he's starts the book retired and he's friends with one of the future vigilantes. Um, and we've got Sally Juspacek or Sally Jupiter. She is still alive as well. Um, I suppose technically, no, at the beginning of the book, that's it. Th- those are the only three yeah. who are still alive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Hollis Mason, uh, as, as I mentioned, played, it was uh, Night Owl uh, and is very good friends with uh, a second version of Night Owl. It's kind of Night Owl rebooted uh, Dan Dryberg, but we'll get to those people in a minute. Uh, Ed, Ed, uh, Edward Blake is the comedian. And he actually, let me talk about Ursula, Ursula Zant first. She was the silhouette. She was d- shot dead after it became public that she was a lesbian. Okay. The last member of the Minutemen was the comedian, Edward Blake. And it's his death at the beginning of this book. He's already dead when the book starts, but he had just been murdered. And that kind of kicks off all the events uh, around uh, that happened in the graphic novel. That's kind of the the launch point and edward blake he's your favorite character isn't who said that i didn't say that i just figured my bad okay (laughs) he's an all-around horrible human being (laughs) just absolutely like nothing really redeeming about this guy i I mean he fights you know but but you know he is also a criminal like i mean he's he's a rapist he's a murderer he's like he's war crimes like this guy is is just the worst so he works for the government mr so okay fine all right i'm going to say a little bit more about sally juice because she's such a central figure here and that'll kind of kick us over to the modern day so uh she is she starts the book in what they call a rest resort which i I assume is like a nursing home or at least an assisted living um and she is the mother of Lori juice who becomes the silk specter too so sally silk specter her daughter Lori becomes silk specter too in a future generation of masked vigilantes uh she it turns out was violently raped by eddie blake the comedian and she is among sally. the first to capital yeah sally was yeah, yes yeah. i'm sorry not laurie yes sally was mm-hmm. the, the so um she was also among the first to capitalize on her status commercially uh in her with a modeling career so she kind of transitioned this crime fighting thing into modeling among other things there, there, there's some stuff that was a little bit uh, more risque than modeling as well but at any rate yeah so there you have it uh that's that's the minutemen now they kind of disintegrate in 1949 uh, we'll talk about why later on but there's a new group that kind of starts forming uh, the nelson gardner cast captain metropolis tries to start up this group called the crime busters sometime in the sixties that never really pans out, but this new group, which is not ever referred to as the watchman officially in the book, there actually is no group that's officially called the watchman in the book. Bad title on their part. I, kind of there. I don't think they realized that. Well, actually that's before we get to the, the, this group, let's talk about that title. But watch watchman is a reference to, um, the who is it it's juvenile uh it was a who is a roman like satirist so he wrote this thing called satires and the quote is i'm not gonna get this wrong quis custodiet ipsos custodes which translates loosely to who watches the watchman and that was a, a quote that was in the epigraph of the Tower Commission report in 1987. Do you know about the Tower Commission report at all? You did mention this to me, but uh, Iran Contra do? Yes. The, okay. So if you know anything about the Iran Contra uh, 
scandal, which I I am no expert on that, so I'm I'm not really going to look at our go look at into our what that only is. murders in the building. Yeah, there you go. Watch it. <laughs> watch that series. Listen to our coverage of only murders in the building. But anyway, uh, this report, the Tower Commission report, investigated that Iran Contra scandal, and the report held Ronald Reagan, who was the president at the time, accountable for a lax managerial style, right? So, in other words, he was not adequately watching the Watchmen, and nobody was watching him. So the question arises, who watches the Watchmen? And we see this written in graffiti in several places in the book, in the in the, this graphic novel, uh, but we never see it in full. It's never all in plain view, who watches the Watchmen. Mm-hmm. You can kind of assume that it is, that, that you know what it is, but... This is uh, this is kind of where the title comes from. Who watches the the people who are supposed to be doing the watching, right? Yeah. So these mass adventurers don't really have a name, as far as I can tell, uh, in the mid sixties to mid seventies. So, as far as I can tell, based on the book, I think it's, it starts in nineteen sixty six, ends in nineteen seventy seven. Uh, but the people involved in this one are we've already talked about Dan Dryberg. He's he's the new night owl. And he's he starts the book um, friends with with Hollis Mason, uh, who was the original Night Owl. He's retired. Uh, he's been decommissioned by what's called the Keen Act. Actually, they all have been de- well, mostly all have been decommissioned by the Keen Act. Yeah, you can't be right. independent. Anymore. Right. So the Keen Act of 1977 outlawed masked vigilantes unless they were government sponsored. So there were some that were government sponsored, and they got to continue. But Dan Dryberg. Night, the new night owl was not one of those people. Um, Laurie Jupiter, uh, Laurie Juspacek, if you prefer, who played who was Silk Spectre too, she was sponsored by the government. Okay, but she was sponsored to be kind of a calming influence on Doctor Manhattan, who is the one character in this series, in this novel anyway, in this graphic novel that has actual superpowers and we're talking like gods godlike superpowers yeah right superman um, on steroids yeah yeah it's, uh he was john osterman before he became dr manhattan but he is completely blue he's bald he's indestructible uh and he is employed by the government uh for lots of things that we'll talk about later but basically in order to keep him somewhat calm they have Lori living with him because they are a couple all right. Uh, also, amongst this newest, newer group of, of people are as Adrian Veidt, who is the uh, his code as vigilante persona as Ozymandias, name that should be familiar to you, Kurt. <laughs> uh, breaking or not? Yeah, Breaking Bad. Yeah, lots of our listeners <laughs> will recognize Ozymandias as the is is it the penultimate? No, the no second the third, penultimate. Yeah. The, the third to last episode of Breaking the Bad? Third ultimate. I don't know. Yes, whatever that is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so there you have that. Uh, he is considered the smartest man alive. Not a superpower. He doesn't have like super intelligence. He just is considered the smartest man alive. He retired before the Keen Act. So he is kind of in the good graces of most people because he hung up his mask before the keen act went into effect he's now a very wealthy businessman having capitalized on his vigilante yeah. persona yeah he revealed his identity right yes yeah. yep he did 
All right. Uh, Walter Kovacs is kind of a, a, a narrator of a lot of the book. Uh, he is Rorschach. It says vigilante persona. Now, Rorschach is extremely conservative, very paranoid, although it's hard to call somebody paranoid when they're right most of the time. <laughs> uh, and he wears a mask with Rorschach test ink blots on it. Right. So are you familiar with Rorschach tests? Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know how to like read a Rorschach test per se, but I know it's used by like psychologists well, or Yeah, you don't read a Rorschach test. Like the psychiatrist or psychologist will show you the Rorschach test and, and then interpret what you Yes, I mean, see. I don't know how to interpret it. So, I don't know what the interpretation is. Gotcha. But I just know, you know, they show you these blobs yeah. and what do you see? Eh. Yes. So his his mask has Rorschach test ink blots on it. And he calls that mask his face. He calls his face his mask. Okay. Uh, he is still an active masked vigilante, despite the Keen Act. He does not care. He feels like he's doing, uh, I don't know, doing doing what needs to be done, and he's going to do it despite the Keen Act. Yeah, in the face of Armageddon, right? He will not let whatever mm -hmm. he's <laughs> injustice win or evil win or bad win something. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and he is our our kind of point of view for the first chapter which is when he's investigating blake's death eddie blake the comedian who is the other member of this newer group he was he's to open the book he is dead he's been killed he's been thrown out a window and rorschach is investigating that and that's kind of where we begin okay did i miss anything amongst the masked adventure characters i don't think so i think that's all the all right i think it's all the all right, so some other characters that I think we need to be aware of uh, that, you know, I'm just going to call some attention to some of them now, not all of them. Is uh, Dr. Manhattan really masked? He's not masked. Does he well, masked? no, no, okay. I guess not. Right. He's got a cool symbol, though. <laughs> hydrogen. <laughs> it's a hydrogen atom, yes. So, so yeah, the nucleus and then the ring with the one electron. Anyway, uh, we spend a lot of time with Bernard and Bernie. Ber Bernard is the news vendor, and we get a lot of kind of the world events through Bernard. And we spend a lot of time with Bernie, who is the, reading a comic book called The Black Freighter. Uh, and The Black Freighter becomes pretty important. We get to read the comic book through Bernie's eyes. Uh, so th they're pretty important characters here. Um, uh, Edgar Edgar Jacoby is Moloch, who is kind of a villain from the old days. Because remember, this novel is set in 1985, eight years after the Keen Act, which means that there has been no legal vigilantism unless sanctioned by the government uh, up to the, for for what eight years now? Yeah, almost. So, Moloch is a, a bad guy from the old days, a former okay. villain. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. So. Uh, the, those I think are are the most important people for us to be aware of. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any other real sidekickers I need to know ahead of time. I mean, okay. Um, let's talk about some important kind of in-world terms and concepts, and maybe uh, items that that we need to be aware of. Uh, the New Frontiersman is a of kind of a really conservative newspaper. Uh, it it's a big favorite of Rorschach's. Rorschach's loves the new, Rorschach loves the new frontiers. <laughs> um, uh, the liberal counterpart to it is Nova, Nova Express. That is 
the other big newspaper, Rorschach hates the Nova Express. So, so there you have that. Um, and then I think uh, Rorschach keeps a journal that's really important. Uh, this is where a lot of the narration comes from, is Rorschach's journal. Uh, the the um, There's an autobiography that's been written by Hollis Mason, who is, again, the, the first night owl. It's called Under the Hood, and we get to see a lot of expert excerpts from Under the Hood and learn about a lot about how the original uh, Minutemen worked through Under the Hood. Speaking of Under the Hood, uh, I should say that each chapter is followed by some sort of supplementary material. Uh, and the first, what, three of them, I think, are excerpts from Under the Hood. Yeah. So there you have it. All right. So I've covered some most of the characters, a lot of the important terms and concepts. I want to run through the the chapters one by one, just give the broad strokes of what happens so that we have an idea of the story. Uh, so there I mean we're talking major spoilers here now, folks. If if you don't want to spoil the book, <laughs> you know, pause the podcast, go read the book, and then come back and listen. Very good so, book. Yeah, it's really good. All right, so as I said, Rorschach opens the story by investigating the mysterious death of, of Eddie Blake and discovers that he's the comedian. Rorschach did not know the identity of the comedian before that. He knew the comedian, didn't know it was Eddie Blake. Uh, he tries to recruit and, or I guess, warn Dan Dryberg, uh, who is the new Night Owl, because he believes someone is going after masks. So he's going to go and kind of meet with all the, the old gang uh, and try to warn them or recruit them to try to figure out what's going on. Uh, he goes to Adrian Veidt next, Ozymandias, and Veidt responds in a similar manner to Dan, disbelief, alternate theories, so forth. Finally, Rorschach visits Dr. Manhattan and Laurie Juspacek, Laurie Jupiter, Silk Spectre 2. Uh, and Dr. Manhattan already knew, and Laurie, we, can, we find out, really hates Rorschach. <laughs> After Dr. Manhattan yeets Rorschach out of their facility, uh, Lori feels upset that Rorschach defended the comedian when she brought up the rape. So Lori brought up the comedian's rape of her mother. Lori knows about it. And Rorschach started to defend Eddie. Not a good, not a good play. Did not win any favors with Lori. Uh, Lori feels cooped up in this kind of lab setting with Dr. Manhattan all the time and asks Dan Dryberg to go out to dinner with her, and they they both seem to enjoy this quite a bit. Yeah. All right. We get some excerpts from Under the Hood. And this, so that that's the end of chapter one. Uh, the supplementary chapter uh, material after chapter one is the first two chapters of Under the Hood, the autobiography by Hollis Mason. Hollis recounts the saddest thing he's ever seen, which were the events uh, that led up to his father's boss, Mo Vernon, committing suicide. Uh, he discusses his original draw to becoming a mass adventurer while he was a cop. So Hollis Mason was a cop, uh, and that draw uh, to becoming a, a, a vigilante was was there. He loved adventure. Uh, he desired to do good. He had an affinity for comic books. And all these things kind of melded together into this stew of desire to become a vigilante. Uh, 
I'm vigilante. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. He discusses his preference for Superman over the shadow because of Superman's more binary morality, which this is a, a concept that we love talking about on show hoppers. I love themes of non-binary morality. Right. And I mean, Watchmen is maybe the best example that I know of of non-binary. It does. Morality. It does. Well, some of the characters oh. thoroughly believe in binary morality, like Rorschach. Rorschach is very black <laughs> and white. Like the, yeah, yeah, he's probably the most black and white one. But yeah, yep. Uh, House Mason apparently was attracted to Superman because of his binary morality, right? So uh, even in this world, there's this debate between binary morality and non-binary morality. Anyway. Uh, if you need more explanation folks what i mean by binary morality is just there's right there's wrong there's nothing in between there's no gray area things are either right or wrong what ultimately makes up hollis's mind is news reports of a real-life masked vigilante in 1938 hooded justice and he recounts the report of hooded justice beating up some muggers who were robbing a couple uh, exiting a theater and then busting through a window to take out robbers holding up a grocery store Hooded right. Justice, I love Hooded him. Justice. You love him. He's like such a minor character, but you love he's him. He's so cool to me. He's so cool to me. It's just the idea that like this guy started it all off. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem like that. He doesn't, sound, he doesn't seem like a perfect person. No, <laughs> he's, like, he's a Nazi sympathizer. Right? Yeah. At some point, he talks about him. I think I think it's in Under the Hood where he mentions that he was a Nazi sympathizer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah. he wanted to, during World War II was breaking out and he was kind of. In support yeah. of Hitler and whatnot, but you know, yeah. and, and even his disappearance. There's someone even in the, the comic to go aligned to the the unknowns and theories as to his disappearance. Exactly. All right, on to chapter two. Lori goes to visit her mother Sally in her rest resort, and she can't understand why Sally has forgiven Eddie Blake, the comedian, for raping her. Sally flashes back, and so we get to see a lot of what happened through flashbacks. She flashes back to Eddie wanting to go to war. Again, this would have been World War II, right? Mm-hmm. That he, he really wanted to go to war. Um, and then the rape, during which Hooded Justice intervened, right? So Eddie was in the process of raping Lori. I'm sorry, not Lori, Sally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hooded Justice intervened and, and kind of pulled him off of her. Hollis, John, Dan, and Adrian, they all attend Eddie Blake's funeral with Rorschach, uh, while Rorschach pickets outside. Not as Rorschach, but as Walter Kovacs. So kind of wearing his mask. So each of those characters, Hollis Mason, no, not Hollis Mason. We don't get a flashback for Hollis, but John Osterman, who's Dr. Manhattan, Dan Dreiberg, who's Night Owl, and Adrian Veidt, who is um, Ozymandias, uh, and Rorschach all give us flashbacks of Eddie. All right, of Eddie Blake, the comedian. Adrian recalls the first and maybe last meeting of the Crime Busters, uh, where Eddie was very critical and just wanted to go to war to prevent nuclear Armageddon. And uh, he seems to be this. This I think is the only meeting of the Crime Busters we ever really get. Uh, and it's largely because Eddie is not into it. So, uh, you know, it's for somebody who's death right at the beginning of the book is is the central kind of watch point for the book. Eddie Blake is a really main character throughout this story. <laughs> yes, yeah, you see him on flashbacks and the, what, what he did while he was alive is yeah, has uh, ripples. So. Yes, absolutely. Uh, John Osterman, Dr. Manhattan, recalls winning the Vietnam War alongside him. So they went to war together, but Eddie got a local woman pregnant and ditched her 
Uh, and when he ditched her, he got attacked by her because uh, she kind of sliced his face with a broken bottle. So he's got a giant scar there. But then he shot her dead in front of Dr. Manhattan. Okay. So again, all around horrible human ah, being. The comedian. <laughs> So we should mention why he's called the comedian, <laughs> because he believes the world is so bleak and so lost that all you can do is sit back and laugh at it. <laughs> That's a joke. That's oh, a boy. Yeah. Dan Dryberg, Night Owl, recalls a, uh, doing riot control with Eddie while the police were on strike. And there's a newspaper headline. I don't know if you noticed this or not during this police strike that says, let them do it. So there's a lot of hostility between the actual police force and these vigilantes at that point. No, I don't uh, see that newspaper. The newspaper headlines are really cool though. I mean, yes, they are. And they, they, yeah. I mean, so I, I should say this as well. I know at this point, uh, Mr. Salary said that Rorschach, Walter Kovacs, you know, he's, mm -hmm. he's around the funeral with the sign and whatnot. We don't know his identity yet. If you're reading it. That's so, true. Like, for example, I didn't know that was Rorschach. It doesn't tell you it's Rorschach. They even show the person earlier on before mm -hmm. Rorschach. And it makes sense when you look at it knowing it's Rorschach, but yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, it's just this guy, who the, you know, just the, the end of the world. He's <laughs> a sign about, okay. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. This, this riot control is probably right at the end of mass vigilantism uh, because they're discussing the Keen Act. It's being debated. Uh, Eddie gasses the crowd, shoots them with rubber bullets, seems to relish it. And so forth. Uh, Rorschach gives us a flashback where he notices. Actually, this is not, not a flashback. flashback yeah. He he just notices a former nemesis, Malik, at the funeral and follows him home and interrogates him. Now, Malik, who it turns out has terminal cancer, tells Rorschach that Eddie visited him crying and drunk a week before he died. Strange, you know. These, this is uh, one of Eddie's. Would have been one of Eddie's nemeses, but. Eddie was distraught and he was raving about an island with writers and scientists and artists. And he thinks it's the worst thing. It's worse than anything that he has ever done, which I mean, we just in this chapter saw him shoot a woman who was carrying his child dead. Uh, and he's saying whatever this island is with writers, scientists and artists, it's worse than anything he's ever done. Yeah, he was drunk. I mean, <laughs> now I, it's so easy to overlook that and, and forget all about it. It is. I don't even, even remember that. I didn't remember yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I wanted to make sure I called your attention to it here because that uh, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool foreshadowing. So that's the end of chapter two. Chapter two supplement. We get excerpts from Under the Hood. Hollis recounts the Minutemen as deeply flawed individuals who probably would have given up had they not been banded together. Uh, and he wishes that they had not banded together because the world might not be in the mess it's in if they had stayed away from each other. Hollis discusses the origin uh, and eventual demise of the Minutemen. Much of the beginning and end of the Minutemen revolved around Sally Jupiter. She and Captain Metropolis started the group. The group was the group's end was marked by her baby, Sally's baby, Lori, being born. And Hollis also expressed that the comedian exposed the comedian as the rapist and worst worm in the apple of the group is what he described him as eating it from the inside. That's how he describes the comedian. Uh, and this, again, this is an autobiography that was published. So it was kind of an expose on a lot of what had happened. So it was now public knowledge that the comedian had raped Sally and was eating the group from the inside. 
Is, uh, is this where they talk about the like un-American activities, or is that the next? I think that's. I think that's later. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Chapter three. Scene that we get scenes at the newsstand for the first time. The vendor. Well, actually, it should, it's not the first time, but these these are substantial ones. The the news vendor Bernard wants the U.S. to nuke Russia. Rorschach stops by to pick up his daily New Frontiersman. I want to pause right there because. One of the most incredible things about this book is it was published at the height of the Cold War. I can't believe Russia. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, I mean, for, for those of you who don't know about the Cold War, I was alive during the Cold War. I was young. So when this book was published, I was eight years old. Um, but at any rate, it, it, it was – we were – the whole country was always on high alert about the Russians. The Russians were – I mean – most movies from the 80s the russians are the villains <laughs> like you know if you watch stranger things like the russians are the villains <laughs> it's, it's stranger things is set in the 80s so it's it's really interesting to me that they've really captured the cold war very well that sense of terror but they've captured it in a very different setting because in watchmen as i've already mentioned the us clearly and decisively won the vietnam war Okay, uh, Richard Nixon was reelected several times. Like there was a, a law that was passed so that he could continually be reelected. So, in this book, Richard Nixon is still the president in 1985. Yeah, now Reagan would be the president. Re Reagan would have been the president. Yes. Right. So, so he was the actual president. But in this universe, having oh, yeah. won the Vietnam War and Watergate, never got found out. Right, exactly. So in this universe, Nixon oversaw Dr. Manhattan almost single-handedly winning the Vietnam for, War for the United States and was therefore able to get himself reelected over and over again. So it, it's a very different universe that Watchmen is set in, but one in which the Cold War is still happening and is very real. So the kid, the kid Bernie, is reading The Black Freighter, and we read as he reads. And in The Black Freighter... Uh, a guy washes up ashore after his boat had been set upon by the Black Freighter pirates. Uh, we we meet Janie Slater for the first time. She gives an interview to Nova Express about how she believes Dr. Manhattan gave her terminal cancer. This is Dr. Manhattan's ex-girlfriend. I guess John Osterman's ex-girlfriend. John himself, John Osterman, splits himself in two and tries to sleep with Lori while simultaneously working. And that freaks Lori right out and she leaves him. That's it. She's she's had it. She goes to Dan Dryberg. They get mugged on their way to see Hollis, but they beat up the muggers and a spark has been rekindled in Lori and Dan. John, meanwhile, gives his first televised interview and gets grilled on all the people that he's been close to who have or had terminal cancer. Who is that? So it's Janie. Yep. Um, Malik. Malik, yep. Who else? Yep. Is there a third person? Yeah, there's a Wally. I don't remember Wally's last name, but the oh, guy yeah, that the president worked, worked with him. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, okay. In frustration by this line of questioning, Dr. Manhattan yeets everybody in the studio out of the studio, <laughs> which makes the nightly news so Hollis and Dan can see it. Dr. Manhattan returns home to find a new quarantine zone sign not not welcoming right he's so they're they're drinking the kool-aid that he's causes cancer so they put him in a quarantine zone he sees he pieces out to to mars or actually first arizona 
to grab a photo of himself as John and Janie Slater, and then he goes to Mars. He doesn't need this crap in his life. <laughs> so, yeah. Meanwhile, the main character of the Black Freighter buries the dead and worries about his family in David's town. Now, with no Dr. Manhattan around to... Yeah. This, this next thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with, with no Dr. Manhattan around to scare them, Russia invades Afghanistan and is anticipated that they'll be headed for Western Europe soon. So President Nixon and his team tried to decide whether or not to nuke Russia. They anticipate losing the East Coast of the United States. So it's as though Dr. Manhattan was the only thing holding off nuclear Armageddon. Yeah, he, he was the U.S.'s, like, ace in the card. This, and this is where I really started loving the book. It was just the concept yep. of Dr. Manhattan here. Because we had mm-hmm. seen him before, and I was like, okay, I don't really know his powers too much, I guess, whatever. Yep. I mean, he teleported Rorschach out. This chapter really highlights him a lot more. I mean, you see and him in Vietnam, Vietnam, like, blown up, blown yeah, up to like, giant proportions. But that like, wasn't cool to me. I was just like, okay, so he's, like, overpowered. What's so cool about right. that? But this, this is like, oh, he just left. He didn't even care. <laughs> he's alive. He, he's, yeah. not, he's not going to, like, do anything about it. He just, he doesn't care. I'll just leave. And yeah. his presence not being there has, yeah, Russia invades Afghanistan, and the world is, the DEFCON level is going lower, which is worse, <laughs> right? That's the worst I, 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 You I don't want to be DEFCON 1. DEFCON 1 is terrible, right? I don't know, actually. I, I think Defcon's the. I, I think people always get the wrong way around. So I think it's one's the bad one. So we're going down. We're like Defcon <laughs> like three or two now, maybe. I don't know. Not that sure. Well, we're Defcon <laughs> a lot. They don't use Defcons in Watchmen. They use the the the, the, the Doomsday Clock. Yes, every chapter. They, gets a little they, closer. They, yeah. In fact, I should I should mention the Doomsday Clock is uh, set at what five minutes to midnight. I don't it, remember it, how it it's a, it's a spl- at this point after he leaves. I think they set it to five minutes to midnight. It displays the nuclear Armageddon threat level, uh, and it, it, actually you can see it at the beginning of every chapter, and it's getting closer and closer to midnight with every cha- passing chapter. Mm. So, uh, did you recognize that as yeah. the doomsday oh, yeah. clock? Okay. Well, I didn't recognize. Oh, you told me it's a doomsday clock. I don't re- like. What is the doomsday clock from? Well, it's 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 like. Um, I don't know if you remember this. I don't even know if they're still used, but the terror level colors that we used right after 9-11, there was like green no, and yellow this. and orange and red. Like, the, like you could actually check it. You could check the, the, the risk of terrorism level before your flight or something. Like, <laughs> and it was, and it was color coded. So, but I mean, that's way after this was written, but th- that's kind of the equivalent of the doomsday clock. <laughs> yeah that's a real thing i can't i'm, I'm shocked there's a that... doomsday clock that uh, is this a thing like this the where are we right now the doomsday clock no the doomsday clock is not a real thing that's an okay. in-universe thing as far as oh, i know okay. maybe it's a real thing i don't know well, I, just, I, hope, I hope we're like a few hours at least <laughs> I'll, I'll, right, i can live with being like three hours till midnight boy i don't don't want to even be there all right the uh supplementary material at, at the end of chapter three is the final excerpt that we get from under the hood it's chapter five married in 1947 sally and uh, lawrence oh, what the heck's lawrence's last name i have it here lawrence Shexnader, who was sally's publicist they get married and in 1947 they later get divorced after laurie was born in 1949 okay in the 50s the minutemen were forced to testify before the House on American Activities Committee as possible communists. All right. So 
the House on American Activities Committee, that was a real thing. Um, I mean, this sounds a lot like the, uh, <laughs> why am I drawing a blank on this guy's name? The, uh, the, red, the, the red scare. The, the, um, the, oh, um, McCarthy. Yes, McCarthyism. It sounds a lot like McCarthy. McCarthyism. So <laughs> most of the vigilantes complied, but Hooded Justice refused to testify and was never seen again. Oh. Hall suspects, <laughs> yeah. Hall suspects that he may have been circus strongman Rolf Mueller, who was perhaps question mark found dead during the around the same time. But again, even his body wasn't really identified for sure as Rolf Mueller. So. There's a lot of question marks there. Dr. Manhattan was announced to the world in 1960, and ma that made masked heroes and humans in general obsolete. So in 1958, Ozymandias burst onto the scene with his super intelligence and athletic prowess as well. And in 1962, Hollis retired from adventuring to open up an auto repair shop, and he allowed Dan Dryberg to take up the mantle of Night Owl. I wonder how much he sold that for. I don't, I don't know. Right to big night owl. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right, on to chapter four. Doctor Manhattan, who is now on Mars, sees all time at once. This chapter this is so cool. cool to me. It is this cool is like, chapter. Yeah. And, uh, chapter three, I was like, "Whoa, this is pretty cool." And then I see this yeah. this chapter. I was like, "Yeah." Mm -hmm. And you yeah. did tell me a bit about like, "Oh yeah, there's a chapter where you see his." I think between mm -hmm. when I read these chapters, you you told me about this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I... So this this chapter is. It's so hard to explain it because Dr. Manhattan can see all time at once, right? So it's not that he time travels. It's not that he can tell the future. It's that he sees it all happening at once. He can't change it because it's already happening. To him, it's already happening. And this frustrates a lot of the people around him. Why didn't you save JFK for being assassinated? You know, why didn't you stop uh, the comedian from killing that woman in Vietnam, right? But he can't change time. Once he simply it, sees it, <laughs> he, see, he sees it how it is. So the chapter jumps back and forth between uh, his John Osterman days. At, I think is this Gila Flats or Gila, Gila Flats? I don't know the name. Of the uh, I'm going to call it Gila Flats. And J with Janie Slater and his time as Doctor Manhattan on Earth and now on Mars. His father, when he was a boy, was a, was a watch repairman, and John planned to do that become a watch repairman but after the atomic bomb his father pushed him toward atomic physics so he went to princeton then he went to gila flats research facility where he met janie slater they were a couple when john got locked in the intrinsic field test vault and got disintegrated like literally particleized happens yeah but over the next few days, he reassembled himself as Dr. Manhattan. And I love the way he puts it because he, he, he makes it analogous to making a watch, like piece by piece. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. He put himself together. This yep. is probably my favorite chapter, actually. It's so good. <laughs> uh, the government immediately capitalized on him and gave him uh, and uh, publicized him to scare the Russians and, and fight domestic crime. Uh, he burns his, his uh, signature symbol into his forehead, the hydrogen atom. That's the symbol. And he jumps around in time to break up as he, to see, I'm sorry, to his breakup with Janie, uh, the beginning and end of his relationship with Lori, his utter destruction of the Viet Cong like, as a giant, a literal giant, <laughs> uh, 
a visit to Adrian's place in Antarctica, uh, the Keen Act, and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, Nixon, turns out, proposed an amendment that would allow him to keep running for president. That's why he's still the president in 1985. Dr. Manhattan finally settles into his new glass castle on Mars that he just built from 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 the mars dust yeah, well, uh, what's his power he, he can transform atoms he's, yeah he can, he can manipulate <laughs> at the particle level yeah so, so. glass uh, by the way every chapter begins with a piece of quote and ends with the full quote mm-hmm. okay so the piece of quote at the beginning of this chapter was i should have become a watchmaker The full quote is from Albert Einstein, and it says, the release of atom power has changed everything except our way of thinking. The solution to this problem lies in the heart of mankind. If only I had known, I should have become a watchmaker. So I really love that. (laughs) That's really good stuff. All right. The supplementary material for chapter four is this Introduction to Professor Milton Glass's Dr. Manhattan Superpowers and the Superpowers. This is Professor Milton Glass was kind of his boss at Gila Flats Laboratory. The newspapers frequently say the Superman exists and he's American, but Glass about Dr. Manhattan. They say that the Superman exists and he's American. Glass doesn't. He says God exists and he's American. <laughs> so glass criticizes the american belief that dr manhattan is a man to end all wars that's what the that's how the u.s dubs him the u.s government believes that he is a deterrent to any possible attack but glass believes that the russians are more likely to subscribe to the idea of mutually assured destruction one of our favorite concepts on show hoppers <laughs> we love some yeah. here <laughs> yes we do and will willingly go down with the rest of the planet Life on Earth is forever changed by the existence of Dr. Manhattan, which uh, this is something that you see Dr. Manhattan and you you immediately think of Superman. But this is something that Superman never has. Yeah. This idea that the world is indelibly different because he's there. Yeah. uh, A lot of these heroes are kind of commenters on other heroes. Like, yeah. Well, actually, the next chapter, right? Chapter five is about more about Rorschach. Yep. Yeah. So in Rorschach's kind of like Batman. I feel mm-hmm. like he's like a detective that's kind of all not night owl things. <laughs> I can you're right. Probably night owl is more Batman. Yeah, they've got different <laughs> elements of Batman. Yeah. Uh, they're all kind of all of them are like Batman actually because none of them have yeah. powers exactly. Besides Doctor Manhattan, but it's like you know a person that would be like Rorschach wouldn't probably be a bit like unhinged, <laughs> kind of like right. Rorschach is. You know, breaking yes. fingers, which hey, that's what he's about to do. <laughs> so, so in chapter five, Rorschach visits Moloch to find out if he knows who put the Dr. Manhattan cancer list together for the media. And after shutting his uh, shutting him in the refrigerator, which was very dangerous. Yeah, it used to be yes. dangerous. To be, <laughs> was, don't do that. Watch out. Yeah, you get locked yeah. in. Yeah, it used to be uh, that refrigerators, if you you could not open them from the inside. So it was, this is a dangerous thing. Anyway, he's convinced that Moloch doesn't know anything. The police investigate a double murder-suicide. It was a father who was so fearful of World War III that he killed his kids and then himself. We get a whole bunch from the Black Freighter in this chapter. The main character builds a raft of palm trunks and the dead bodies of his former shipmates and sets off for Davidstown. That's a big part of this story from this point over the fact that he's literally floating on the 
corpses of his fallen allies. Uh, he eats one of the circling seagulls raw, which is absolutely disgusting. And Straight raw uh, gull. Yeah. yeah, it makes him That's sick. Good for you. Uh, and he, he's horrified by all the horrible things that he's had to do. He makes makes this corpse raft and eat raw seagull. And eventually, and as you would inevitably expect, sharks set upon the raft. But he does kill the giant one, the, the biggest of the sharks, and uses it as a float for the raft. All right, that's it for the Black Freighter. Dan Dryberg invites Lori to stay with him, and she accepts because she has left John. She doesn't have really have a place to stay right now. Rorschach observes his drop spot from outside the Gunga Diner. So a lot of the action, uh, the newsstand, I think, is right outside the Gunga Diner. Uh, and it, I, I believe it was, I mean, it's some kind of Asian food. I think it's Indian because they do talk about some Indian food later, but I'm not sure. Um but his drop spot is a garbage can outside the Gungadai. <laughs> That's where he was. So he just told Moloch, you know, if you think of anything, if you hear anything, you drop something in there and I'll get it. An assassination attempt on Adrian Veidt fails. They do kill his assistant, though. But Veidt subdues the guy before the guy swallows a, a cyanide pill. And nobody knows where he came from. Or what he was after. I mean, obviously, he was after killing Adrian Veidt. Moloch calls upon Rorschach to visit him that night at 1130. We meet Joey, the cab driver, uh, in this at the newsstand in this chapter. Uh, she, she asks the news vendor to put up a poster for gay women against rape benefit. And Moloch, that meetup that he set up, was a setup. <laughs> uh, when Rorschach arrives, Moloch is dead. I don't know if it was by Moloch, though. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know if it was by Moloch or, or what. But Moloch is dead, and the cops apprehend him after a substantial fight back, including fire. Fire, some sort of, like, harpoonist yeah. thing. <laughs> yep, exactly. Oh, yeah, the, the grappling hook to the chest. Yeah, yep. the grappling hook, yeah. Yep. All right. Chapter 5 supplementary material is the is Chapter 5 of the Treasure Island Treasury of Comics, which is some information about the Black Freighter. It discusses the rise to popularity of pirate comics, especially Tales of the Black Freighter. Original writer for the, for the comic was Max Shea, who becomes important later. The original illustrator was Joe Orlando. Orlando was the early star, but Shea improved to the point where Orlando left. Eventually, Shea went missing, and that is where he is currently. He is yes. missing. Yes. Important. Okay. Chapter six, Dr. Malcolm Long meets with Rorschach, whose real name is Walter Kovacs, we find out, and hopes he's a, he hopes he's a career-making case, does, does Dr. Long. Long shows Kovacs some Rorschach tests in plots, right? Uh, and Walter tells him what he thinks that the doctor wants him to hear, a pretty butterfly, some nice flowers. But we see what Walter sees. He sees a dead dog. He sees his mother, who is a sex worker, having rough sex with a client. He's creeped out by him. The client is creeped out by Walter and leaves. She hits Walter and says that she should have aborted him. Oh. A little rough, yeah. <laughs> that is a little rough. rough, rough a little rough, rough. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Walter gets harassed by the other inmates who hate him for putting a lot of them in prison. 
Makes sense. Uh, and flashes back to attacking two kids who are harassing him about his mother, making fun of his mother. Malcolm is working on the case at home a lot, much to his wife Gloria's chagrin. In therapy, Walter tells Dr. Long that the rape and murder of Kitty Genovese. Did, now, do you have you ever heard of this? this? Is a true story, Kitty Genovese? This is a true story. Yes, yes. Oh yes. no, I didn't know. This. I mean, yeah, I remember it from the the book where it's, yes, she gets raped and a lot of people watch it. And she no raped and murdered outside yeah, murdered, this apartment yeah. building, and all, all kinds of people looking on did nothing. Uh, and that's what did they ever catch him. the person. I don't know actually, but oh, that's what, I didn't know that's this what, was real. That is a real true story. Kitty Genovese is. Is, a, is a real thing, yeah. Um, so, and uh, this is what prompted him to become a vigilante. Um, Walter dumps fryer grease on another inmate who is trying to attack him, uh, and investigate while investigating a missing six-year-old. He found an abandoned factory and two dogs eating her bones. So he killed the dogs and burned. The perpetrator alive that's the flashback he was seeing with the dead dog of uh kitty Ge- genevines no this is not kitty genevines this is a different this is a different, six-year-old okay, girl. Yeah, a yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah oh yeah russia has invaded pakistan now too and nixon promises to respond with maximum force and that doesn't happen in the real cold war like no. now in, in our cold war like russia did try and invade afghanistan kind of like the uss vietnam Mm-hmm. But this never happened. Russia never invaded no. Pakistan in our in our timeline. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, Doctor Long tells the story at dinner to, uh, with friends in, of and Gloria. So he tells the story of the kid, right? The Rorschach going and finding the missing six year old girl's bones, right? Mm-hmm. He tells that story at a, a dinner party, and his wife Gloria leaves him. Now, when he looks at the ink blot, even he sees a dead cat covered in grubs, or worse yet, dark nothingness. <laughs> and the final, the final quote of this chapter is from Nietzsche. It says, "Battle not with monsters, lest ye become an, a monster." And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Rorschach so, broke his psychiatrist. Rorschach broke his psychiatrist. It's it's true. Oh man. Okay. Our, so the supplementary material for this uh, chapter is Dr. Malcolm Long's case file on Walter Kovac. He had a withered rose on him when he was arrested, which I'm not sure why I made a note of that, <laughs> but he did. Um, he was admitted into the Lillian Charlton Home for Problem Children after he attacked his harassers in 1951. He was released in 1956 and deemed intelligent and stable enough to function in normal society. There are also two writing samples from the home. The first is an essay about his parents. He clearly idolized his father, who he never met, but who he knows loved Harry Truman, and he loathed his mother. And then the second is a dream essay. He dreamed about his mother and a strange man naked, melding together. And Malcolm, in the case file, was excited to treat him and hoped to publish evidence of a new syndrome to explain other masked vigilantes. All right. Anything to add? I thought it was, I, I liked that as a momentum material. I mean, I, yeah. Rorschach is a very interesting character. I like, I like, yes. a, I like that he is very much on what he believes, you know, you got to stop crime no matter what. Even, even if you got to break mm-hmm. a few. Fingers. I always go back to that. I always gotta break a few fingers. Go to the local bar, break a few fingers, get some information. 
That's, right. that's, that's what he does. I, I don't that's know if he's done that once or twice at this point. Um, I'm not sure. I think just once because I think he's going to go back later. Once that we've seen. But yeah. it seems like he does this pretty regularly. Yeah. <laughs> pretty like, exactly. go to the local like, bar. Yeah. He, he goes in and they're, they're all like, oh, no. But, <laughs> <Aurora> <laughs> uh, not this guy. All right. Anyway, uh, chapter seven, Dan and Lori bond over all of Dan's gadgets, costumes, his his uh, flying ship, Arch- Archie or Archimedes. Uh, he calls it Archie. He inherited lots of money from his father, who was a banker. Lori and Dan settle down for the news. Rorschach's on the news, Rush's on the news, etc. Lori starts kissing him and they start to undress. But Dan has some performance anxiety. <laughs> uh, on TV, Adrian Veidt is giving a gymnastics performance at the New York Astrodome. They end up taking Archie out for a fly in full costume and locate a fire in a tenement building, which has been happening a lot as landlords try to get rid of their tenants. It's terrible. Uh, but they rescue the tenants and make love on Archie. In Archie. On Archie? I think in Archie. Anyway, the costumes really do it for Dan. <laughs> and he suggests they go break Rorschach out of prison. He's flying <laughs> he high. Got, yeah, he goes right to the next thing. Like, okay, we, we saved people from a burning building. That's pretty objectively good. Now just yeah. break someone out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the supplementary of this material in this chapter is by far my least favorite supplementary yeah. material. <laughs> this is like the Journal of the American Ornithological, Ornithological Society article written by Dan Dryberg. It's called Blood from the Shoulder of Palace. It's basically a poetic love letter to owls and how he sometimes gets so lost in the technical specs of them that we fail to see the beauty in poetry. Honestly, like after the... um. Rorschach last one with his like case study. The rest of the mm-hmm. uh, supplemental material isn't really ever as good, at least to me. I mean, there's still okay. all right some of the reading. I, there's a lot of history t- stuff, but it's not as we'll go on. I, I will tell you that there's some important stuff in the supplementary materials from the, this point forward. There's that... yeah, well, I'll admit that yeah, like they, they talk about the world a lot, right? And they're all, yep. I get that, but to me, there's not as interesting. Yeah, you you that may be right, stuff. but there, but there's there are some tidbits in there that are gonna really help you enjoy the series. Okay, we'll, we'll see. Because I probably missed over it. I did kind of start skimming. Them. I'm like, yeah, let's see this whole like, interview. <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend you go back and read those. Anyway, we'll see. We'll um, see. so uh, chapter eight, Hollis calls Sally to tell her about the tenement building rescue. This is the original night owl calling the original Silk Spectre to tell her about the new night owl, the new Silk Spectre. rescuing these people from the tenement building the news vendor bernard is excited that rorschach was a customer hey must be good for business to get a a famous customer uh dan dryberg discovers that most people on nova express's cancer list and this is really important and really easy to overlook (laughs) were employed by dimensional developments dimensional developments funds the institute for extraspatial studies and Dimensional Development is in turn funded by Pyramid Deliveries. So these are impor- really important things that are going to come up later on. Uh, Bernie reads the, the Black Freighter. What happens in that is that the main character imagines the pirates ravaging his hometown and family. Uh, and he finally decides to end his own life by stepping into the sea. But when he does so, he finds that the sea is not deep enough. He's reached land. Is it Davidstown? Well, we don't know. But he's hell-bent on revenge. Okay, I love I love the writing of the Black Freight. <laughs> so it's so, yeah, it's Max it's, Shea, man, Max Shea, <laughs> Max Shea. <laughs> I'm right. more as Max Shea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
That's right. It's Alan Moore as a Max Shay. Lori is hesitant to rescue Rorschach, but Dan is all in. Rorschach, who's now in solitary confinement, gets threatened by this guy called Big Figure, who's a little person, actually. He's like Penguin. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, and his two goons. Detective, uh, some detective comes to see Dan and Eddie about Eddie. Sorry. Some see Dan about Eddie and Rorschach and the tenement fire. So this prompts Dan to push uh, up the rescue to immediately. Let's do it right now. This guy's hot on the case. Yeah, he, he basically insinuates he knows he's the night owl. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The new Frontiersman editor, who we do have a name for, actually. I'll have to check that out. The, it's uh, uh, Do you remember this guy's name? The the boss one? Yeah. No, it's, I, don't uh, I don't remember the other uh, one's name, even though... <laughs> I, What's the other one's Doug, name? Be lucky. No, the other one is Doug Roth. Nova Express is Doug Roth. Okay. Oh, you're talking about um. Seymour, oh, that's the new the, frontier. Yeah, Seymour's the intern. Seymour like, is like the underling, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is but he his boss is an underling. I think he's an underling. Either way, yeah, he's not the it's not the boss. H- Hector Godfrey is the is the editor. Okay, okay. so. Uh, the New Frontiersman editor, Hector Godfrey, and Seymour, the kind of underling, assemble the next issue with Masked, Adventure, Masked Adventures on the cover and Max Shea inside. Max Shea, we get we get to see Max Shea right now. Yes. Max Shea and Ms. Manish, who we don't know yet, but we'll get to know a little bit more about in a, in a, a while. They wrap things up on the island. She's illustrating some beaked creature, and he has been writing. They've been working on what they think is a secret movie, but they're leaving today. All done. All right. On the news, some prisoner uh, Rorschach attacked. Has the prisoner that he attacked with the the grease is is dead now? Nova Express, it turns out, is founded by an ordinary, very all American delivery company. Did you catch this part? No. Okay, so Nova Express is but, also founded by Pyramid by, Deliveries. Which is, okay. So. <laughs> yep. The ordinary, very all-American delivery <laughs> yep. company. Yep, Dog. exactly right. And Nova Express has been attacked by the New Frontiersman article proposing clemency for the costumed adventurers. So they want, they want Nova Please Express. Rorschach. Yeah, Rorschach. Just, yeah, they like Rorschach, exactly. New Frontiersman wants the costumed adventurers back. Bernard, the news vendor, gets semi-harassed by some knot tops on Katie. So we should mention here, knot tops are like an in-world gang, it seems. And Katie seems to be some sort of in-world drug. Big Faker and company use a prison riot to get at Rorschach, but he turns the tables on them and escapes just in time to be rescued by Night Owl and Silk Spectre, but not before killing Big Figure. When, oh yeah, I forgot yeah. about the one in, in the men's room. Yeah, yeah. like one moment. Oh, he sees the yeah. bathroom. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. We do all this to save him, and he's just to go and use the bathroom now. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. when the three return to Dan's apartment, Doctor Manhattan is there and whisks Lori away with him, as per her internal wish that she didn't even know about. <laughs> Dan and Walter escape, and Archie just before the cops get to them. And when the knot tops hear that Night Owl sprung Rorschach, they go after the wrong Night Owl and kill Hollis Mason. That's pretty tragic. That's pretty sad. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess they didn't know that. Yeah, he he did retire. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, so yeah. uh, sure, Dame he's his public persona is not known. Right, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. That's correct. Is Lori's known? It's got to be known. I guess so, the government with, and her yeah. mother. She's Unless the, the government is keeping a secret, I'm not sure. Well, they must know it, it's her kid. That's true. Right? Maybe yeah, it not. must be known. Surely someone would look into that. I would think so. All right, the supplementary material for Chapter 8 is that new Frontiersman article that they were putting together. It's called Honor is Like the Hawk, colon. Sometimes it must go hooded. And there's a, another uh, article, sub-article in here. Missing writer, vanished person list grows as Hunt called off. But you see, this isn't as interesting because it's like reading the news. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was, yeah. Well, let me hit some, let me hit some highlights of it though. Dude. So there's some very extreme views on society here in the New Frontiersman. For example, they say that the, K- the KKK originally <laughs> came into being because decent people had perfectly reasonable fears for the safety of their persons and belongings when forced into proximity with people from a culture far less morally advanced. Disgusting. Okay. Loves to read it. Yeah, I guess so. Um, it absolutely shreds Nova Express as Marxist, communist, drug advocate advocates that are responsible for the disappearance of Dr. Manhattan and therefore the pending nuclear Armageddon. They hold Nova Express entirely responsible for all of it. They insinuate that they're funded by Russia, which uh, so this is what I kind of love about this supplementary material. Like this sounds like something that would happen today easily. It does kind of. That is true. <laughs> yeah. they, do, they, they do. They do. They do lean really into the. There's a lot of division going on here. Yeah, exactly. They argue for the masked adventurers as an, uh, uh, that masked adventurers are necessary when laws are wimpy and useless. And they present the conspiracy theory that the missing creative figures are somehow connected. Because it's not just Max Shea. Mm-hmm. There are lots of them. Like when you <laughs> mentioned earlier. Uh, yes, exactly. Just so just to, just to, name a, to name a few, there's uh, Dr. Whitaker Furness, who is a eugenics specialist of all things. There is Hira Manish, who is a surrealist painter. She's missing. There is James Tafford Marsh, who's a hard science fiction writer. Again, not missing. There's uh, Lynette Pally, who's an avant-garde composer. Now missing. Max Shea, we've already talked about. Now missing. Norman Leith, who's a radical architect now missing. There is, very crucially, Robert DeShane, who's a psychic and clairvoyant, now dead, but whose head has been stolen from his corpse. So, New Frontiersman is connecting all these people and thinks there's a conspiracy. All right, chapter nine. I I actually should note here that this, this island thing... I was yes. a tad confused on, right? Oh, I, I it's was confusing. Confused. I I I was like, okay, so he's making a movie, huh? Let's go. Yeah, are all these other, exactly. are these people actually like what's going on here? So I I was I was pretty confused here. Yeah, I'm makes sense. So I was like, I thought I was missing something very big, which I don't you were not missing anything. anything. It's, <laughs> yeah. It will all be explained yeah, in the end. So. But I I do get very concerned. I was like, hey. Am I supposed to be understanding something? Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, it's a, yeah. I thought there was something in the Black Freighter comics I was missing. 
That's what uh, I thought was happening. I thought it's like, oh, am I supposed to? Is there like some sort of meaning I'm missing here? Well, I mean, there's 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 meaning in the Black Freighter. It's not necessarily um, key, crucial to the story, but it definitely is for Adrian's character, as we'll come to find out later. So, all right. Throughout the chapter, chapter nine, a bottle of nostalgia is falling. We don't know why, but it's just falling. Dr. Manhattan has taken Lori to Mars and gives her an oxygen aura, eventually, not at first, so that she can breathe. He forgets these things. That and It infuriates Lori that he already knows how their conversation is going to play out. It's and so she, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I got to bring you to Mars with me so you can convince me to try to save Earth. And yeah. you're going to tell me about how you're sleeping with Dan. Oh, so you yeah. know. No, yeah. I don't know. I'll know in 10 minutes. <laughs> and then when he, she says that, yeah. he's like, yeah. you're sleeping with Dan? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know it's so good. Oh. All right, she recalls the memory of her mother Sally, and alleged father Lawrence, Lachexinator, arguing, perhaps about an affair. That's what it seems like. Perhaps about the comedian raping her. It's hard to tell. She thinks Hooded Justice, who is an ex-lover or ex-boyfriend, I guess, of Sally's, is her actual father. All right, Doctor Manhattan calls Laurie his only link and concern with the world. Since she left, he has no concern for the world or for life. After all, Mars is just fine without life. Lori recalls a reunion of the Minutemen where Hollis tells her about his book. Sally tries to keep it from her while also pressuring her into the hero life. And a decrepit Byron, the Mothman, makes her wonder if that lifestyle is even worth it. Lori resents her mother pushing her into the adventuring life. She even drove her in a limo to the first Minutemen meeting. Laurie recalls talking to the comedian after that meeting, who seemed very interested in her, until her mother pulled her out of there, yelling at Eddie. Dr. Manhattan, still insisting that life isn't as interesting or important as Laurie insists, is having trouble seeing very far into the future for some reason. Lots of static, but also lots of corpses. He does, mm-hmm. however, see himself standing in deep snow and killing someone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> now, Laurie recalls uh, confronting Eddie at a gala event celebrating him in 1973. This is after she knows about the rape. He's a total jerk, but does admit to raping Sally. Only once, though. Laurie puts all of her memories from his chap- this chapter together and comes to the conclusion that Sally and Eddie were lovers after the rape. And that Eddie is her father. Dun, dun, dun. Lori does not love this. And she chucks her bag, nostalgia bottle and all, at the glass castle. And the bottle shatters the whole place. That's like you ever building a glass castle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he could just build it again. Dr. Manhattan protects her from the crumbling castle and decides he will, after all, go back to Earth and help. He has realized that while life is not a miracle, each individual life is because the odds are so infinitesimally small that each individual life could exist. How could that not be a miracle? So correct me if I'm wrong here. This is my impression when I read this chapter, which I've only ever read once. But yes. to me, it was Malori having memories and whatnot. And then Dr. Manhattan basically convinced himself why well, I should save Earth. He's like, ah, you know, I yeah. guess everyone is kind of unique in their own way. Yeah. <laughs> but- <laughs> goes, I'll save them then. 
But he's, he's, he's got he's got to go through the motions because he he's does. Seeing all but, time at once. but to me, it did not seem as though Lori convinced him. A more he convinced himself finally. He was like, you know what? Actually, Lori was not convincing <laughs> him. It seemed like, oh come on, humans are so important. It's so or is this is it, human life is so precious. <sighs> These <Yes>. rocks, <laughs> this pit, yes, Mount Olympus, whatever. <laughs> Indeed. So big. All right, there's some pretty big stuff in this uh, scrapbook. It's Sally Jupiter's scrapbook entry uh, that we get for the supplementary material in Chapter 9. There's a clipping from the Daily World about Silk Spectre bursting onto the scene in 1939. She's a different brand of adventure because her name is known and she is heavily publicized. Sally, that is. Mm. So Sally is, it's, it's weird because people know who she is. She's publicized. The newspaper clipping linking Sally to hooded justice romantically. So we can, they're kind of publicly a couple. We see a note from Edmund quote King Taylor about the Silk Spectre movie in the works in 1945, which is six years after she had announced it in the Daily World article. Uh, they've made some changes. Uh, there's a letter from Captain Metropolis inviting Sally to be part of the new Minutemen of America. Lawrence likes the idea. Lawrence checks Nader, the publicist. Sally doesn't like his, his, uh, Captain Metropolis' use of alliteration, though. <laughs> Captain Metropolis lists Lieutenant Nelson Gardner as his representative, even though that is just him. <laughs> then there's a 1948 letter from Lawrence checks Nader with a very sterile marriage proposal in it. It sounds more like a business transaction than a proclamation of affection, but anyway. In that letter, he also talks about how difficult it is for him to cover for Nellie and H.J., who are acting like an old married couple in public. Any idea so, who Nellie and H.J. are? So this is the thing. I, I don't, it hasn't already happened yet, right? But at some point, Lori says that there are some – actually, does she do it later here? How some people are gay? In I, the Yes. Yeah, okay. So she, she will say that in this, yes. in this supplemental. And I already thought, well, famously, I guess, Hooded Justice was never really, like, that into uh, Sally publicly. Like, they never did it. And nothing was ever seen between them. So I'm guessing Nellie is Nelson, who's that Captain mean, Metropolis. That does seem like an appropriate nickname so, for someone named so, Nelson. So... <laughs> So I, I'm guessing because she says there's more than one gay person, the guys, not not mm -hmm. just them, the silhouette. So okay. I think that they were a couple. So there's nothing explicitly stated here. That's, except... that's my theory. That's that's what I got gotcha. you. Okay. Okay. Now it Lawrence does say that Sally provided a steady alibi for HJ up to now and benefited from the publicity. Yeah. All right. Still, Lawrence foresees a silhouette fiasco. So the silhouette, remember, <laughs> was, those, yeah. was killed once it was it became public knowledge that she was a lesbian. Uh, forthcoming for Nellie and H.J. <laughs> Byron Lewis is drinking heavily. Bill is dead. And maybe it's time for them to pull out, cut their losses, and settle down together. Yeah. We get a kind of a scathing screen review of Silk Swingers of Suburbia, the Silk Spectre movie starring Cherry Dean and Rod Donovan. Terrible review. Too awful to be dignified, even with the term pornography, it says. <laughs> and then finally, we get an interview with Sally by Probe magazine in 1976. Her adventuring wasn't a sex thing. It was a money thing. For others, though, it was a fame thing. And for a small few, it was a goodness thing. That's what she says. 
she she feels really bad about voting silhouette out of the group because she was a lesbian after all a couple of the guys who are both then now she says were gay i just forget she, that part that we're both dead it's kind of uh, a drop, uh... How did Captain, it, yes, because we, we know at the beginning of the book there are only three yeah. living members. Did they ever talk about how he died? Mind. Nope. Okay. I don't think so. She doesn't hold a grudge against Eddie for the rape and wonders if she didn't contribute in some ways. It seems like it could be a little problematic because this was rough to read. But anyway, she thinks someday Lori will think of what she saved her from by pushing her into adventuring instead of what she condemned her to. Like so her, her, her identity is now. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting take on that. Someday she'll thank me for what I saved her from rather than what I condemned her to. Interesting. Interesting take. Okay. <laughs> Out of chapter 10, Nixon, Ford, G. Gordon Liddy, Henry Kissinger, they convene to discuss nuclear options. Dan and Walter... Return to Dan's apartment after hiding underwater to retrieve Rorschach's spare uniform. He doesn't call them costumes. I don't know if you know that. Noticed that. Like some of the others will call them costumes. Publicly, they're called costumed or masked adventures. Rorschach always refers to it as his uniform, not his costume. <laughs> uh, and his journal. Adrian arrives at his fortress in the cold. And, this, and his three, like, I guess these are servants have supervised a delivery slash reception unaided. We don't know what that was, but they supervised it. Veit watches all the monitors at once. He's got a wall full of TV monitors watching all the broadcasts at once. He sees war brewing and tells the servants to invest in erotic video companies, baby food, and maternity goods. He sees a baby boom coming. <laughs> Dan tells Rorschach it's really hard to be his friend. Rorschach's impatient and wants to go interrogate the underworld instead of looking for conspiracy via computer. Dan ultimately yields. In the Black Freighter, a moneylender from Davidstown and a woman ride on the beach and discover the raft, the, the corpse raft. The main character kills them, thinking that they were in cahoots with the Black Freighter, and plots to ride into town uh, on one of the, one of the horses, with the corpse of the woman on the other. The pair arrive in Davidstown undetected. Okay. That's the end of the Black Freighter for this chapter. Rorschach gets info out of a goon who gave the attempted Vite assassin two envelopes from his boss, who's now dead, at Pyramid Deliveries. That's all starting to come together. Meanwhile, Night Owl, Dan notices a knot-top squirming and discovers the news of Hollis Mason's death. Rorschach has to pull Dan off of this knot-top and get him out of there. So Dan had the temper for this one. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to go to this bar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we get a bit from, from the, the people on the boat full of creatives that are coming from the island mm -hmm. back to the mainland. Uh, it blows up. This just confused me more. I remember I saw yeah. this. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I, got, yep. I got so confused. I was like, so is, is Shay's dead? Yep. Max Shay is dead. <laughs> all those creatives, they're all dead now. Dan and Walter go to enlist Adrian's help, but he's gone to Karnak. That's his place uh, uh, in Antarctica. But the place where they've gone to find him is all decked out in Egyptian decor. 
Dan uses the password Ramesses2, who was otherwise known as Ozymandias, <laughs> to access Adrian's computer and discover that he owns pyramid deliveries. <laughs> For the world's smartest man, not that great of a password. I guess password protection. Oh, uh, password security hasn't been that big of a deal, I feel like, until like the last... Uh. 15 years it's been really uh certainly not in 1985 it's amazing you even had a computer in 1985 yeah so. <laughs> that's true that's true it's written in the comics yeah. I, mean, I wasn't around then shame yep. the two of uh, uh sorry the two of them rorschach and dan are off to Karmac, karnak now but not before rorschach ships his journal revealing everything off to the new frontiersmen who file it in the crank file Dan and Walter make it to Antarctica, but Archie freezes, so they'll have to go the last 20 minutes on the hover bikes. And Adrian sees them on his monitors and tells Bubastis, his genetically engineered lynx, it's all right. It's all right. All right. The supplementary material here is the uh, files that they take off of Adrian's desk on their way to Karnak. Uh, one is Leo Winston, president of Vite Industries, who's encouraging Adrian to expand his action figure line with Bubastis, Moloch, Night Owl, and Rorschach. The latter three are illegal aliases anyhow, so no no copyright worries there. I thought that was pretty interesting. Like, of course we can market this. Like, there's no copyright laws. Us? Is, is Rorschach going to come and sue us? Yeah, exactly. Let's <laughs> him try. I love it. Oh, Yep, there are promotional leaflet for the toys, and there's a promotional leaflet for the toys in there. Adrian is bullish on Bubastis, but not as but uh, he has ethical questions about the others. He prefers more militaristic villains. There's a letter from Adrian to Angela Neuberg, who's the director of Vite Cosmetics and Toiletries, about the new sensual ads for nostalgia by Vite. Next year, he says they're going to transition away from nostalgia and move it to switch over to Millennium. Uh, promoted with a controversial modern technological utopia. And there's also the manuscript for the new introduction to the Vite method, which sounds a little cultish. Hmm. Hmm. The Vite method. The Vite method. Thank you, All right. Chapter 11. Adrian preaches to Bubastis about his vision for a better future as Night Owl and Rorschach approach. Joe, the Joe, uh, the taxi cab driver, her girlfriend looks for her at the newsstand. Uh, in the Black Raider, the main character enters his home and beats up someone he believes to be a pirate, but who is actually his wife. He's mortified. He so he gives himself to the Black Raider, which was the only which was only there for him anyhow, not David's town. Oh. Ooh. That's the end of the Black Freighter. That, right? That's the end of the Black Freighter. Adrian gathers his three servants in the vivarium and tells them his origin story. His parents died when he was 17. He gave away his inheritance, desiring to prove the possibility of achieving anything starting from nothing. He idolized Alexander the Great and set out to retrace his footsteps. Joe's, uh, the taxi cab driver's now ex-girlfriend, confronts her at the pal, as the Pal Horse concert at Madison Square Garden is audible in the background. So Pal Horse is, is an in-world band. They fight about their differing views on being lesbians, and the fight gets physical. Adrian grew disillusioned by Alexander the Great after fish, finishing his odyssey. A vision in a drug trip turned him on to the pharaohs, specifically Ramses II. 
Turns out he has poisoned his servants and opens the vivarium to expose them to the cold and snow. They are in Antarctica. So they pretty are. cold. Yes. Gloria looks for Malcolm at the newsstand and gives him an ultimatum and an ultimatum stop helping hopeless cases and bringing it home. And then she'll come home. Instead, he tries to intervene in Joe's fight with her uh, lover. Ex-lover. Night Owl and Rorschach enter Karnak through the open vivarium, and they try to sneak up on Adrian, but he gets the better of them. And Vite explains everything as he beats up Rorschach. His second case, Adrian's second case, was the disappearance of Hooded Justice. He discovered that the comedian may have killed him after reporting to the government that he couldn't find Hooded Justice. He vowed never to succumb to Blake's bleak point of view on the world, but instead to make the world better, not by treating symptoms, but by treating the disease. He identified the nuclear weapon accumulation as draining funds that could have helped people and the world. If nuclear Armageddon didn't destroy them, environmental ruin would. Step one in his plan was to remove John Osterman, a.k.a. Dr. Manhattan. He started dimensional developments. He hired John's former associates and gave them cancer intentionally. He also researched genetics and teleportation and purchased the Mystery Island in 1970. But Blake found the island full of artists and scientists. He discovered what Vite was doing and told Moloch about it. That's what we're what uh, was so confusing in that Moloch chapter. So Vite had the comedian killed, John exiled, and hired a third party to attempt his own assassination. He, Adrian, Adrian quotes Hitler here, say, saying that Hitler said that people swallow lies easily provided they're big enough. So he created a very big lie. <laughs> a giant psychic squid that he would teleport to New York City. Upon arrival, it would explode and send out psychic shockwaves that would kill half the city. Oh, and by the way, you can't stop it because it already happened 35 minutes ago. And we see Bernard and Bernie embrace as they disintegrate. <laughs> so this kind of confused me. I was like, wait, what? Just a giant how did he get that? I was, I, was, I was like, how did he do that? How did that happen? And then I, I thought, I was like, oh, that's what those shit people were doing. That's why, okay. Nah, so yeah, that's sense. what Max Shea and that's what's uh, going on. Okay, yeah. that makes okay. I remember when I first read that, I was like, oh, what? He just had a giant squid? Yep. <laughs> the supplementary material for this chapter is Doug Roth's interview at Karnak with Adrian Veidt in 1975. It's called After the Masquerade, Super Style and the Art of Humanoid Watching. Light refers to anyone in Nixon's inner circle as humanoids after Ford's nobody's human comment uh, to, a, I think, a, a serv server at a gala event or something. Light took uh, his servants in when they were Viet Cong refugees. They love him in this article in this interview they say they they tell the interviewer he does not inject drugs or treat young women badly make sure that you say that <laughs> <laughs> all right Vite, <laughs> noted Vite is regarded as one of the most left-leaning superheroes Vite explains how anyone can do what he's done if they focus on physical exercise meditation and in-depth 
studying. The Vite method, right? The Vite method, exactly. He quit his costume career because he felt he could do more good as a businessman, treating the disease rather than the symptom. Also, what does crime, crime fighting even mean? Is the criminal the mother shoplifting to feed her children or the one who legally brought about her poverty? He believes some people want the end of the world and others want to live. It's a race between enlightenment and extinction. Veit says that he likes avant-garde music, much like the music uh, by, what was her name again? I don't remember. The one with Shay on the thing? Yes. Miss... There's an avant-garde musician oh. uh, I can't remember the name of. Oh, right. Lynette, Lynette Paley. Okay, yeah, no, I didn't know that name. <laughs> yeah, Lynette Paley. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as for his former costumed colleagues, John doesn't care any more about politics than we care about the color of ants. Rorschach is intellectually limited because he sees the world in black and white, but he has integrity. Now, the comedian, they are not great friends. He sees him as a, an amoral mercenary, allying himself with whichever political faction seems likely to grant him the greatest license. Interesting way to describe it. I like this supplement a lot, actually. It's an all right one. I, I love this it, this concept of what does crime fighting even mean? Is the criminal yeah. the mother shoplifting to feed her children or the one who legally brought about her poverty? Sure. Fair, fair, fair. And yeah, basically, comedians like a privateer. Yes, exactly right. Yep. Good for him. Final chapter. Chapter 12. We get images this, of the destruction. Good ending. <laughs> Fantastic, yes. John and Lori take in the destruction. They're back from Mars. John's vision is being obstructed by what are called tachyon particles emanating from the South Pole. Tachyon particles, by the way, are like these hypothetical particles that would travel faster than the speed of light if they existed. But you know, as far as we know, we can't prove their, their existence. But John Osterman seems to be saying that they do exist. They're messing with this vision. And they're emanating from the South Pole, so they're off to Karnak to confront Adrian. Adrian explains to Dan and Rorschach how he created the giant psychic squid, Max Shea's story, the cloned and enhanced brain of Robert DeShane, that was the decapitated psychic, Hiram Manish's images, and Lynette Pelley's sounds. When John arrives, Adrian catches John in an intrinsic field subtractor and disintegrates him again, this poor guy. Lori tries to shoot Adrian, but he catches the bullet, which was his plan. He did that. Yeah, they're like, what yeah. are we going to do if I shot you? I would have just caught the bullet. That <laughs> <laughs> actually does it. <laughs> yep, yep. And they show his hands bleeding like crazy, too. It's pretty cool. Anyway, John regenerates. It was, after all, the first trick he learned. And he's very disappointed with Adrian. Adrian turns... I love the line he says there. Some... I forgot what. Oh, yeah. You to me, you were like the smartest termite. <laughs> That's right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. Adrian turns him, showing him the world's reactions on the news. Russia has called off the tax and withdrawn from Afghanistan. The world stands united against this new, unexplained attacker. Nothing unites like a common enemy. Adrian is literally crying tears, tears of joy as he says it worked. So now their hands are tied. They can't expose Adrian or it would negate the peace and cause World War III. They can't kill him because that would risk an investigation. 
Rorschach don't care. He's rigid. <laughs> he's black and white. Armageddon be damned. He's off to tell the world. He goes right into the snow. I'm getting back. I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm walking. Yep. I'll walk home. Lori <laughs> 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 and John make love by the pool. And as John approaches, I'm sorry, not Lori and John, Lori and Dan make love Dan, by the yeah. pool. As John approaches Rorschach, Rorschach removes his mask in tears and John disintegrates him. Yeah. He disintegrates him because he's going to go tell the world. And John, exactly. Gonna, you know, basically, Adrian, you know, I like the conversation. No, they haven't even had the conversation yet, have they? Never mind. No. No, they haven't. No. Yet, so, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> John sees Dan and Lori naked and asleep and leaves them, walking walking across the water of the pool. So it's a God powers, right? This is like yeah. right out of the Bible. This is a Jesus story, walking on water, right? So uh, walks across the water of the pool uh, and through the ceiling to Adrian. John plans to leave the galaxy. Leave the galaxy and with his newfound appreciation for human life, he's going to create some of his own and become a literal god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I will say about him killing Rorschach was basically Adrian has beat them all in this like weird game of chess. Adrian's yep. like, well, I, I, I guess, yeah. So we can't tell him. Rorschach, I got to kill you then. <laughs> we can't, yeah. can't be tell people. We can't be killing this. We slip out. So he, and Rorschach knows that's what John has to do. So. Yep. Oh. Adrian Adrian confides in John that he struggled across the backs of murdered innocents to save humanity. That's a, the direct quote that he uses, which is a very black freighter. Uh, yes, it does. Imaging, right? Struggled across the backs of murdered innocents. He says he feels every death. He sees their faces. He dreams about swimming toward a huge. Never mind. Maybe it's a fan of the Black Raider. <laughs> so that's what I'm thinking. So, I mean, he did, after all, recruit Max Shea here. So he, he seeks John's approval. He says, I did the right thing, didn't I? It all worked out in the end. Nothing ends, Adrian. Nothing ever ends, says John. <laughs> Goodbye, John. So that's that's the, the end of the story proper. We do get this, like, epilogue here where Sam and Sandra Hollis, who are actually Dan and Lori, visit Sally Jupiter on Christmas. Uh, she thought they were dead, but Lori tells her that she knows Eddie was her father. Sally's mortified and apologetic, but Lori tells her that she did nothing wrong. Sally gives Lori a bottle of Millennium by Vite and Dan her old Silk Spectre magazine. Dan and Lori discuss adventuring again with a new persona and leather costume for Lori. New York City has a has. Uh, harm, like harmonious posters of U.S. and Russia. One world, one accord, it says. There's a, a restaurant called Burgers and Borscht. <laughs> and, and Robert Redford is running so, for president in 1988. Robert Redford is an actor. Um, like a really someone, famous actor. Okay. Real, oh, yeah, someone who's like accused of being like a communist sympathizer or something? Uh, he's, he's, I think he has pretty liberal politics. Like during McCarthyism? No, oh, okay. like he would have been too young, I think, for McCarthyism. But it, like he, th it's interesting because there's like a something that says RR to run in 1988, which I assumed meant Ronald Reagan because he actually was the president. Yeah, <laughs> but no, it's it, they, they they have it as Robert Redford. So, so he like he is a very famous actor. Anyway, uh, Seymour 
the underling at the New Frontiersman returns to the New Frontiersman with burgers and borscht. And don't say borscht. Stop. Godfrey says. Godfrey laments that they can't say bad things about the Russians anymore and tells Seymour to fill two pages with something from the Craig file. Doesn't matter. Whatever you want. Just grab something. As he reaches for Rorschach's journals, journal, he spills ketchup on his smiley face t-shirt, which uh, it looks just like the comedian's smiley face button with his blood on it from the beginning. Huh. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. cool pretty cool bookend. And speaking of bookend, that is the end of the book. <laughs> so it's a good way to end it. There you have it. All right. So that is the chapter by chapter highlights. Now, uh, I I had asked you a while back if you have a favorite character, and I, you, you didn't tell me, but you said you do have one. Yes. And I do as well. Do, do you want to know my favorite character? Do, do you want to take a guess at each other's? Sure. All right. I think yours is Dr. Manhattan. Uh uh, I mean, I, I just think you you're, you really love this idea. Like, this is what got you into the book. You, I think your favorite chapter you said was the the chapter where he's seeing all things at once. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I think Doctor Manhattan is your guy. I think yours is uh, Rorschach. I think he reminds you a lot of yourself. <laughs> yes, you know how I love very <laughs> rigid binary morality. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I think uh, it's either Doctor Manhattan or Rorschach. I. I I think your favorite character is Dr. Manhattan. Okay. Are you serious? Do you think it's Dr. Manhattan or Rorschach? <laughs> yeah. Why would Rorschach be my favorite character? Okay, you're just a lot like him. I'm not, though. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I just had the wrong read then. My bad. Okay. Um, all right. Did I get you right? All right? Is it Dr. Manhattan for you? No. No, you didn't. Though he, so I have, I have two very high-tier characters. Dr. Manhattan... But my favorite character, who I do like more than Dr. Manhattan, Rorschach. <laughs> really? Rorschach is my favorite character, yeah. I think he's super interesting. I think he's super interesting. Okay. Why? <laughs> Why? Because yeah. he's, he's like, he is somehow always right, but yet crazy and pretty villainous. <laughs> like, look, all in yeah. all, if you knew this person, you'd be terrified and think he's a, a villain. But he's actually... I mean, he's always right. Yeah, he might be the goodest one out of them. Mm. You, could make a, you could make an argument. Now, I'm not now, sure how you make I don't an argument against Laurie or, or Dan. Like, one of those two is clearly the goodest. No, but you see, no, 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 but listen, though, listen, though. He gets the big figure. He's still putting people in jail, right? Yeah, he's breaking a few fingers. But, like, in terms of a very binary world set, you know, he's getting means of it. He's not killing millions of innocent people, right? He's not doing that. And he wants to report the deaths of millions. John and Lori ain't doing that. <laughs> they ain't doing that. They're sitting by a pool having sex. They, they ain't doing that. <laughs> they, they, they heard the news went, oh, well, what more can we do? <laughs> right? he's, he's, he's willing to walk home from Antarctica. I think you can make an argument. I don't know if it's a good argument. But I think there's a viewpoint that you can look at Rorschach being the best character, like the, the goodest character. Now, that being said, um, I don't think he is. I don't think he really is. But no, but, I, in, but in his world, he is. In his viewpoint, he is. Uh, and you can see how you can you can change the lens enough, and I think you can see how I can see. Uh, oh lens. boy, oh boy, I don't know about this. I, <laughs> no, I think Rorschach. Anyway, he's my favorite character. Okay, and and you got me wrong. Uh, my favorite character is Adrian Veidt. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, think about Adrian. Think about, now, I, if I reread it, he might be my favorite, or he would be more up there. The, the only thing about Adrian is he's very underused until like the last. He's, he's very back heavy. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, they show like you know, the assassination attempt or check visits him, whatever. But yeah. you know, but he's yeah. a very good villain. You know, he's the type of villain you love a good villain where they think they're the good guy or they're. I mean, know, but is he, a, is he a choice. villain though? He just saved the world. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. He saved the world. So <laughs> it is like, is he a villain? That's true, right? He yeah, that, that's what I, that's what, really I, that's what I love about him is is that I mean that he's as non-binary as it gets here yeah he, he, he is he, like what he's doing like well once it's done like he saved the world <laughs> but he killed like three, three million, million people plus, in, yeah, in the meantime like i mean he didn't have to poison his his people i guess maybe if they knew too much well that's that's the thing like he's, guess, he yeah. he needs to make sure that what he did mattered that what he yeah. did was no chance that it gets found out. So let me exactly. tell all these masked vigilantes. Right. But I guess it saves his skin. So I guess. Yeah. So uh, I think I, and I, I would never have up to, up to chapter, I guess 10. No, I guess 11 up before chapter 11. I would have said probably Dr. Manhattan was my favorite. Yeah. Fair. I mean, I, I went back and forth. I still think about if Doctor Manhattan's my favorite, but I, I think it's good at Rorschach. I really do like Rorschach, so <laughs> I do. I like him a lot. I think he's super. I love and I love the way he's written by um, Alan Ward. Oh he, yeah, he doesn't talk in complete sentences. No, like, never. He thinks it, the way he thinks. He's like, hmm, like, hmm. Serious. Yeah, Barnes and Beans. Hmm, seemed honest. Hmm, I'll ask yeah. again. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> Who do you know? Breaks ring finger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seemed exactly. honest in his eyes. Yeah, <laughs> I believe him. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, mean, just, so I just think he's a very interesting character, and I think is. I don't see a realistic depiction, but I think is like, if someone's a mass vigilante still going through even after this act, like I think you will get mass vigilantes that are, but you know. Mm-hmm. unhinged and uh, he's, he's a good showcase of it so that's yeah. why um second favorite character is probably mothman <laughs> i love how much we see him i love that he's the third guy still alive yet we never see him <laughs> at all he's drunk and uh yep. no, he, he's in a, a hospital right yeah they like bring him to this like, reunion or whatever it is do we ever see him in present time yeah yeah. Oh, when? No, not in present time. Yeah. Okay. Not in present time. No. So, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why he's alive. So I, don't know why I would have thought. I would have thought. I uh, yeah. I would have thought if it wasn't Doctor Manhattan, you would have said Hooded Justice was second favorite. <laughs> so, no, such a no. small role, but you seem obsessed with Hooded Justice. I do like Hooded Justice a lot. I think he's so fast. It's like oh, I want to. I want to know more about him. Like, why did he start being? Because he he seems to be the inspiration for the other vigilantes that started yeah. off as the Minutemen, right? Like, right, you? right. Who wrote about it? it was a Hollis Mason. Yeah, Hollis Mason wrote about yeah. it. You talked about he, no, he's inspiration, and I mean Sally l- looked up to him in some way, and he just seemed like an inspirational. It kind of got this whole thing rolling. He's kind of the first big vigilante, mass vigilante. So what got Hooded Justice started, right? What, what, right. what rolled it for him? Was he? Yeah. You know, I love I love all the um the question marks about him because mm-hmm. never really know his identity, and you know was he like a communist operative that was also talked about i don't know if that's really the case but yeah was he 
could have been from East Germany. They were Rolf Mueller. Anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, what's really interesting uh, to me is like, if you, if you summarize the book quickly for me, just like, yeah, they're trying to figure out who's killing all the masks. And there's this like, at the end, there's this giant psychic squid that kills half of New York City. Uh, it was this dude, I, Ozymandias, who did it. Like, that, that doesn't sound all that interesting, but w- I'm completely blown away by this final chapter where Ozymandias like turns Dr. Manhattan against the yeah, to, like, to, wins to him the over. side. You basically like, have to win over Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, you can't, yeah. you can't win and have him still on Earth and against you because you'll just lose. Like, you, you yeah. need him either to be apathetic to it, mm-hmm. he just doesn't care, or he's yep. with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he kind of gets, you know, he's with them, and then he's like, "All right, I'm done with this." <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, but it's so cool. And when he when he says, "No, you can't, you can't turn me in, you can't kill me," like it's, it's you don't have any options. You got to play. You got to. You have to corroborate my story here. Like this, this, yeah. this well, is this is the goodest this... character says otherwise. <laughs> the goodest character, and even in the face of Armageddon, he'll he'll go, he'll walk home. But but given that it's already happened. You can't get those people's lives back. Yeah. Like, what's what's the goodest thing to do there? Is it to get justice for oh, those three million certainly. people, or save no. the remaining, you know, billions? Oh, of definitely. No, no, yeah, I, no, I get that. Certainly. Like, I don't know if I would be blabbing about yeah. it. But I, mean, I, 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 I makes a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this man did kill three million people. Yes. So, yes. goodest character in okay. a viewpoint. So anyway, All right, no. and I and I think what's also interesting, like the, the ending of this is interesting. I want to see what the world is like in a world that's supposed to be harmonized, like you know, 30, 40 years later. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious to what the series is going to hold with that. Um, this journal that Seymour gets at the end, what Rorschach's right. doctor in the journal, because obviously it, it, we don't have the ending in the journal. Rorschach didn't know the ending, so he, you know, right, right. I don't know if you wrote about what he knew about Vite up to that point. So I don't know if like there's like a look into Vite. What's Vite up to? I'm sure so that this whole Vite man, he, he seems to be consolidating more and more popularity. He's the world's smartest man and he's orchestrated this. I'm sure he'll be at least still relevant, if not more relevant or pretty popular in societal thoughts and minds. I just yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'm interested as to what it holds. I'm very. Uh, do you want me to make a prediction real quick? <laughs> you can if you want. Sure, go for it. I'll make one prediction. I'll make one prediction. These are my two favorite characters, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think Vite will be somewhat involved, but here's my biggest prediction: is that <laughs> um, Doctor Manhattan will somehow return. He'll come back because he'll just poof back in because he can, and then <laughs> he's gonna bring back Rorschach, and Rorschach will be back. <laughs> <laughs> And you call that a prediction? You can call that a dream? There you go. Okay. So, well, yeah. we'll see how we'll see how it goes for you. Uh, be back back to his ways. <laughs> Breaking fingers. He'll go back to his bar where he always goes and be like, oh what? It's a it's a gym now? Ah, oh, whatever. And he'll go in and <laughs> break some fingers. Where nice. am I? Anyway. Where am I? Where are the fingers? They need breaking. <laughs> Why do these do have fingers anymore? <laughs> what happened in the last 30 years? Uh, yes. Uh, anyway, the, the, uh, just 
to give you and the listeners some idea of, of, of what to expect here in the series, uh, there is like a th- almost 35 year time jump. We're going to have new characters. We're going to have some familiar characters. Oh, good. Okay. There's, there's going to be lots. The, the, there'll be some familiarity. Yes. Um, and certainly the lore. I mean, the, the, you have all the lore now, right? So, the, I mean, that's background that characters will commonly refer to in the series as well. Um, I, I want this not to be for nothing. And also, I do, oh, I like this a lot. Yeah. So I want, I like, I wanted to still have a lot of these elements. So I don't want it yes. just to be a completely. I mean, obviously a different story, but you know, right? Exactly. Uh, lots of similar themes, the, especially the the more political stuff. That's very. I mean, oh, well, never mind. No, lots no. of so, some new themes that that were very, very socially relevant, like almost eerily socially relevant yeah. to, to what was happening in the world at the time like it's hard to believe it was made before that stuff started happening anyway um i think that you all will have a better enjoyment of the series having read the book certainly uh but if if not having read the book i think this podcast episode will help with that um you if you did read the book you'll still be able to enjoy the series i think at least that's what the creator said uh like the book there there were supplemental materials after every episode so that was interesting so there's a character within the series uh called agent pt like the the name pete but Mm -hmm. his last name's pd all right so uh at the end of every episode hbo would post on the their website a different pdpedia entries so sometimes there are memos that he'd write or sometimes there are newspaper clippings there's like there's like a blueprint or something in there or a design of something um but anyway uh they're no longer up on the hbo website which is really really sad uh but i do have i, I found somebody who saved them and so i do have them all like downloaded on my device uh, and i will summarize them for you and for the audience after every episode. So we'll have a separate segment on the PDPedia files. Ah, uh, good old PD. Even though I don't know who he is yet. <laughs> I should not say it like that. PDPedia, <laughs> not PDPedia files. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> getting risky there for poor PD. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, our coverage uh, will include spoilers of that episode. What? So it's for, for next week, we'll be covering episode one. We're going to have, we'll spoil that episode. We'll also be spoiling the book and any previous episodes from what we've already covered. So we're going to have book spoil. I'm not, I don't think we're going to do a separate section for book spoilers. No, because I think it's kind of the history of the yeah. series. Yeah, it's 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 it predates. It's it's all prequel to the series. So uh, that should be. It's uh, like spoiling Breaking Bad while we're watching Better Call Saul. I think that's kind of you know it's a given. Yeah, I think so too anyway all right well i'm super excited to do this i can't wait I, listen uh, i've i've been waiting I, I finished the book like two weeks ago and i've been you know i've been we've been wanting to record this so that stuff that we haven't <laughs> been able to and yeah. i really want to watch the first episode of the watch yeah, like, yeah. i don't want to see you know i want to see i want to see who's there immediately yeah who's not what, what you know what's going on what's what's, what's the feel is dr is dr mahan gonna come back to bring rorschach back that's the big one yeah. <laughs> that's right it's kind of a two-parter at first i need at first i need dr Manhattan to come back which i don't know if that'll even happen 
I'm not quite sure. Right. If he does come back, then I yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they'll want him to come back. I don't, I don't know how yeah. much more they want to do with them. He's he's a difficult mm-hmm. character to write, I feel like, because he is like mm-hmm. he's very overpowered. So you, you need to have yes. and they did it very well in this watch. Yeah. Right? Writing about him and you know mm-hmm. what he does and why he does what he does. It's also, I mean, they did talk about it in this chapter, but it's almost a very sad existence because he mm-hmm. sees everything, but he almost can't react to it really. Right. Right. He's just almost like a being there that's just going through the motions and exactly seemingly has no free will almost by the yep. way he like describes it so that's right that's uh, right Lori, i guess well, one bit on that Lori cites that interview that he did and the skating interview you know why did you do it why did you do that interview if you knew there were all <laughs> the cancerous people around you but he just he, he couldn't he had to just yeah, the way it is, no you can't other, stop it. No other choice. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, it, it is. It's really cool. Very cool stuff, um, folks. I do want to give you some just programming notes here too. So we're wrapping up Lost season five on Mondays right now. So you're listening to the this. This is dropping. This episode is dropping on a Thursday. Uh, Watchmen episode one and Watchmen episode two will also drop on Thursdays. Okay, the next two Thursdays. After that, we're going to shift Watchmen over to Mondays because we will be done with Lost Season 5. Because on Thursdays, we're going to be covering the brand new HBO series, The Last of Us. Yay! Yes. So uh, so that'll be interesting. Kurt has played that video game. I never have. And so we'll, we'll be... We'll see I'm interested to see how it'll be covering as a series because it might be a very action series. <laughs> series. <laughs> like, yeah, it was really cool when he uh, killed those clickers. Oh. Not TV remotes, Mr. Sal. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I, I can't imagine HBO just doing a straight action Me series. Me and there's, there's, I mean, I don't know. I think I, I, I'm still replaying through the game. There's, there, there's elements. I, I don't know if it's an exact retelling of the game i actually mm-hmm. read online about it that people said that the trailer were straight out of some of the scenes from the trailer were straight out of the game kind of like just recreations of it so oh. i'm kind of curious I, i'm gonna play through the game and after i'm gonna rewatch the trailer and see if i can see that I'm like, oh yeah I got interesting because <laughs> if that's the case then i'll be like okay well yeah we'll see how close it is but i don't know if it's just like you know same universe but right. perhaps a different retelling we'll see like game gotcha. of well, I mean, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to getting into a series on the ground floor. That that'll be pretty cool um, because I don't think we. Well, unless you count Dexter New Blood as its own series, which I don't. That'd be the only similar one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 no, I wouldn't really because it's source. Yeah. It's, it's source TV show material it takes from. Right. Uh, exactly. This is not. Yes. I mean, it's a game, but. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so folks, we're looking forward to all this. We hope you are too. Uh, it's going to be exciting times for us here at Show Hoppers. Hopefully, exciting for you as well. And in the meantime, what, before any of that happens, you could listen to our back catalog. We've got Better Call Saul, Black Mirror, Centaur World, Dexter New Blood, The Leftovers, Lost, Only Murders in the Building, Ozark, Russian Doll, and The White Lotus, which we just finished up. Oof. I wonder if we loved it. Anyway, you can email us at showhopperspodcast at gmail.com. Please do leave us five-star ratings and reviews. We hope that, that you enjoyed the podcast enough to do that. If you do, you can also subscribe, download, like, follow, and share the podcast around with anybody 
that, uh, that you know who might be interested, maybe even people who you think might not be interested. Kurt, mm-hmm. get, get pumped. Oh, we're pumped. Get pumped. Get pumped. Because even <laughs> though we have finished our coverage of the graphic novel, the graphic novel is over. But as Dr. Manhattan says, nothing ends, Kurt. Nothing ever ends. Well, uh, actually, the Watchmen TV show did end, I think. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> if it didn't, maybe, maybe it's secretive. Like, once you get to that last episode, it goes for another thousand more. <laughs> we'll see. Yes, we will. And we'll start seeing next week. Shoe hammer some show hoppers into your day.